0: straight talk uncut hey everybody, it's tell us again back with another edition of straight talk uncut and this is recorded on January 28 2016 how's everybody doing how's it going so let me get right into it um, came across a few articles that I want to talk about the first one being about a guy named Peter lick now how I came across this uh, this article was there was a, a title that that's struck out to me, and the title was Photo Tycoon. And of course, I mean, anybody who's interested in photography never heard that word before. The first thing I was thinking was what, like, what the hell is a photo tycoon? I've never heard that word before, never heard photo and tycoon in the same sentence. So, started to do some research about this Peter Lick. Well, Peter Lick, First of all, he's a. I don't know. I don't know if world renowned is the word because that that world renowned would mean like everybody knows him. So I'm not. I'm not sure like wh- how he's how he's considered in the um, art world or, or whatever. But he's been made famous for uh, selling a one photo for six point five million dollars. And I guess that, that broke the record. I'm not even sure what the old record was, but. Um, so he sold a photo for $6.5 million. And it was a photo of, let me find it here. Um, the title of it, uh, Phantom, that's the that's the title of, of the photo. And it looks like it was in some canyon, uh, where was it? One of the, some can- canyon. I mean, it's a photo that I I've, I've think I've seen before or, or I've seen one similar to it before. Uh, so let me just read a little bit about him. Let me read, read a little bit about the article that brought him to my attention. Um, actually, I know what it was. It was I was looking up new documentaries. and So, so I think there's a documentary that's going to be made about him. So here it is. F- photographer Peter Lick can be described as something of a photo tycoon, there's the the unverified claim, okay, unverified claim, of one of his photos selling for a record-shattering $6.5 million. He has also reportedly sold 100,000 prints for a total of over $440 million. Well, if that's true, kudos to him. Kudos to Peter Lick. So, of course, you know, when I... When I uh, see stories like this, I, I dive a little bit deeper to see where it goes, to see uh, what he's about. And I went to his website and <laughs> the first, he has some videos on his website. And the first thing that come to mind when I start watching his videos is like Steve Irwin. He's like the he's like the Steve Irwin of photography or uh, what's the guy's name from Manver, Bear or something, the man from, um, what is it? Man versus wild, or man versus nature. I think that's that guy's name is Bear Grylls. Only way I know that is is um, a guy was tell a guy had a like a pocket knife or a, one of those Grigers, one of those like multi knives on his po- on his on his hip, and he was telling me about it. It was from from that show, but he you know he was saying he had never. Watch that show again, cause come to find out that you know th- those scenarios that the guy was in were staged. But anyway, when I when I looked at this uh, Peter Lick's website, um, his videos are done in that manner to where he goes on these extreme—well, uh, I wouldn't say extreme—they they make them seem extreme uh, photo tricks and is is dramatized. Well, it's like it's like a production. It's like dramatized. So picture if you have ever seen um, Man versus Nature or Man versus Wild, or well, obviously most people have seen Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. So picture that, but a photographer, and instead of instead of trying to wrestle, you know, hunt alligators, he's hunting the 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 scene, that perfect shot, uh, the composition. Uh, you know, but you, you can you can go to YouTube or go to his, his website and see exactly what I'm talking about. So when I first, you know, so when I, when I started looking at it, I'm like, well, this guy's obviously doing something. I've never seen anything like, you know, a photographer going out and recording it in this nature. I've never seen like anything like that. So, you know, when I, when I see a photographer hustling and doing something different like that, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, um, uh, but of course <laughs> I did more research <laughs> and found some, some not so good information. And, and, and I'm not saying this is, you know, any, any of this is true. I'm just, this is just the stuff that I'm, that I found out, uh, ever since discovering this guy. So here's a, here's an article from Artnet News. Yeah. Artnet.com. The news, um, uh, The news site or the art news site. So here it is. Peter Lick may claim to have sold the world's most expensive photo with the 6.5 million Phantom. And that's the name of that, uh, the picture that sold. But the artist is artificially inflating his market. And now, first of all, a disclaimer. Um, I'm not privy. I I remember reading something about. Something similar with Thomas Kincaid uh when when he was alive and, and the whole thing with his art so that, that that term artificially inflating his market that's my own recollection with that that that's I just remember something about that with Thomas Kincaid about how he was he had his own galleries selling his art and with, with inflated prices. so let me read further the photographer who deals his own work through the 15 galleries he owned, Uh, And then they have in quotes, links to his galleries is hardly a household name, but Lick has quietly managed to turn himself into the Thomas Kinkade of photography, selling pretty pleasing, but images that are wildly popular with a certain class of inexperienced collectors, but are barely recognized by the art establishment. So, you know, when I when I read this stuff, like you know how my, one of my quotes, or not my quote, but a quote I like is, "Believe half of what you see and, and and none of what you hear." So when I, you know, most people read something like this and automatically, um, you know, be be like all for believing this, but when it says uh, Peter Lick is hardly a household name. I wonder how many photographers are a household name. Like, you know, for, for those of us who are in photography or, or, or even art, how many photographers that we, that we know are household names? You know, if I said Kwaku Austin, how many people would know who that is? If I said Matthew Jordan Smith, most people probably, probably know him from American, America's Top Model. Um, you know, you know, like Irvin Penn, Steve Avedon. If, if I said, if I said these, uh, names, uh, garden parks, like how many people would really know those names? But if I mention some well-known print they made, you know, picture they made, people will probably know it from that. So when they said just, you know, well-known, uh, hardly a household name, like how many photographers are household names? So anyway let me let me read a little bit more so so here they're actually comparing them to thomas kincaid and we all know the story you know of thomas kincaid we know how that ended and i was a fan of thomas kincaid's work we there was a gallery here in uh colorado springs actually in colorado there was there uh, there was some up north also like aspen and vale um that sold this work. And not, you know, I, like I'm not an art snob. Like if I look at something and I like it, I like it. And I like Thomas K, K. work. Have I, do I own any? No. Did, did I ever get into like what the prices of, of the, the, what, what were they selling for? No, I don't, I don't know what they were selling for the actual price, the uh, actual works, but I did work at a print shop framing, framing, you know, reproduction prints. So I, you know, I know what the the prints were selling for, you know, it it depends and it depended on like the size of the print, which print it was. So I, I, I really don't, you know, I don't, I don't even know how that stuff worked, you know, with inflating prices and um, things like that. I mean, if you can relate it to real estate, I could probably understand it more. But as for or, or even cars, for that matter, if you can re, if you can relate it to cars or real estate, I could probably understand it more. So, you know, I'm not sure what was the uh, you know this article that seems seemed seem to be bashing them. I'm, I'm not sure why. But let me read some more. So, the New Yorker, the New York Times, however, has called these figures into question, meaning the figures of his um what his what's his what his prints are selling for. Citing data from the ArtNet price database, huh? At auction, Lick has never sold for more than fifteen thousand eight hundred sixty dollars, a price that was achieved for Ghost, a color version of Phantom. So, a color version of the same picture that sold for six point five million sold for fifteen thousand in two thousand eight, and that was the highest that anybody com- could substantiate as far as selling. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. Well, I guess if, if, I, I guess it, it, it does call into attention if, you know, because the art market is something that is real, even though, um, you know, you don't, it's not mainstream. You don't, you don't hear much from it unless you are in it. It is something that's real and, and, and. You know, I'm not in it as far as like knowing how these prices are, are, are gauged and what constitutes inflating a price. But I mean, the guy, the guy is obviously hustling. He owns 15 galleries and the quality of his, um, if you go to his website, if you see his, these videos that he's producing for these shoots he go on, if I can find the damn site again. And, um, you know his images are i mean who i mean it art is is all um relative to who to the viewer so compa- you know compared to what they but now compared to what some of them i'm I'm looking at some of them some of them are better than others but who who the fuck am I to like he sold a print for 15,000 even even if that is the highest he's ever sold one for I've never sold one for that much, not even close. You know, so I, I applaud his hustle. That's what I applaud. I applaud the guy's hustle. Uh, you know, and I hope he's not like doing anything illegal or fraudulent. You know, I'm not even, I'm not sure if when they say inflating his pri- his prices. I mean, if, if I, I'm not sure if that's. Uh, the legality behind it is like that's illegal, like an illegal thing or just like an ethically ethically wrong thing or morally wrong thing. But I would hope that anyone who's collecting his work are a little more savvy than, you know, a layman. But then again, the people who bought Kincaid's work, I know there was a lot of (laughs) pissed off collectors behind that, so... Um, I just hope, you know, I mean, I, I hate to see somebody that's hustling, get greedy and start doing something ethically wrong or morally wrong or that would, that would draw this sort of attention to them. Um, you know, because like I said, I, I'm impressed with anyone that's out there doing something different. You know, like changing the game and upping, upping the stakes as far as uh, what photographers do. Especially this kind of photographer, cause I mean we we see comp we know what compact photographers do, and I, I don't think they get their due. But um, I'm just looking at some of these in- images. I mean the guys actually I'm, I'm looking at his galleries. He it looks like he had a gallery in Aspen, Australia, Beverly Hills, Caesars. I'm thinking Caesars Palace, Death Valley, Forum. I'm not I'm not sure what it is. Houston, Key West. La Jolla, I was there, uh, in October. Um La was it Lahana, Mandalay, Miami, Soho, Vietnam, and Waikiki. I mean, shit, you know? Th- th- to me that's that's I don't know, man. That's th- to me that's impressive. Uh <laughs> again, I mean that's 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 re- really, really impressive. I don't know if any other photographers had it, you know, or, or doing anything like that, but um you know, I, I just hate to see people bashing somebody just because they're hustling and doing something different. But then again, like I like I said, man, he he does remind me of like even his look, even his accent, he he has an Australian accent. Uh he just he he reminds me of like a <laughs> a, a photographer, the photographer the Steve the uh Steve Irvin of photography. So check him out, you know. Uh, you know, even just to check out some of his work, maybe you can learn something from the way he do things. Again, there's Peter Lick. Peter, and last name is L I K. I'm gonna put links in the show notes. Check him out, man. Maybe you can uh, learn something and sell a uh, sell a print for six point five million, or even fifteen thousand. <laughs> either one, I take either one. You know. I take the I, hell. I'd be happy selling the print for fifteen thousand. All right, so that's that story. Another story I came across was uh, this this uh, photographer who's recreating recreating scenes from Hieronymus Bosch's some of his paintings. And her name is Laurie Pond, and she has produced an amazing series of prints that recreate figures and tableau from Hieronymus Bosch's paintings, and it's the specific paintings, the Last Judgment, the Temptation of Saint Anthony, and the Garden of Earthly Delights. And if you're not familiar with Her- Hieronymus Bosch, to you know, it, some people may confuse him because he he does like that um sort of like he he did that macabre kind of dark religious type type themes. And for some reason I, I always got him confused with uh with Goya, but you know if you if you look if you know goya if you look at some of goya's work it's clearly different but just if i s- if i see one of her bosch's I, I don't know why I put them two together put goya and, and Bosch like in the same category I guess both of their themes are really dark, but goya's on a whole different different and I like both of their works like but some about Goya's work scares me a little bit more. It's just like, and uh, you know, one of the most famous one uh, of uh, of Goya. I'm, I'm looking at this girl's work uh, of some of the most, one of the most famous ones of of uh, Goya's work is Saturn devouring his son. You've seen it in movies, uh, and I think there's a, I think someone else did one too. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that was oh yeah Peter Paul Rubin. Peter Paul Peter, Peter Paul, I'm not actually I'm not even sure who did it first, but I know Goy the one that Goya created Saturn devouring his son is in. I want to say the Devil's Advocate is in some movie. Actually, I think I've seen it in like a couple movies, but uh, so she's but it's I'm, I'm I'm off on a tangent, but she's recreating Hieronymus Bosch's some characters from his paintings and so here's a here's a quote from her uh on how she recreated some of it because it's obviously it's obvious that she did she used digital when you look at the pictures but then still there's something else about it that i couldn't figure out but she explains it in her um in this write-up about her she says she hired a prosthetic designer to create the iconic bosch now, that that long like i don't know what is it like a bird Bird nose, or something like that, and the legs and the tail in one image, and a uh prop master to make the life size boat in Bosch Redo 4.0. Redo Redux Redo, <laughs> and then she said she had a taxidermy teacher that gave her some crows. Holy, so she had so they were real crows, and I'm, I'm just taking a look that's why they look so realistic so so those are taxidermy crows and she got her friend to make uh to model for her but to also help her you know do the prop the wardrobe the makeup for the whole the whole series and then um i'm just reading some here okay and it looks like some of the actual textures the cracks and things like that in in the photos actually came from high resolution images of of the actual paintings themselves. So she just you know had large scale or large high res high resolution images of the original um, paintings of Hieronymus Bosch that she was recreating and you know used textures from that. But I mean, it's obvi- again she's doing something different, man. I like it. I, I always like um when when people start merging all these different things and when you do that you you is you come up with a look like if i looked at it i would say like when i first looked at it i i thought okay she's using photoshop she's using digital but then i then again i was like but she but there's something else about it you know what i mean like you can look at something that's digital and 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 it's obvious that it's digital you you don't even think about it again but then you look at it, something in this digital but then you look at you look at it more like I mean yeah I know it's digital but there's something else going on and almost like um I remember when I first looked at Gary Useman's work a long time ago and it was when Photoshop had like first came out and I was like he's already doing this with Photoshop and come to realize he it wasn't if I, if I remember right I thought I read later that he his earliest stuff early composites he wasn't doing photoshop so i started looking you know further further back and found that yeah people were doing composites and stuff you know before photoshop you know we we always we always say like photoshop is cheating but people were doing um and and of course i didn't learn this until after you know way after i was using photoshop and going back and looking at other people's work that i admire and you know like especially black and white and realize uh, some of some of the stuff wasn't even Photoshop. Um, so, but I mean, if you look at her work, it's definitely something different in there. You can tell there's definitely, it's not just digital. She merged a whole lot of different, um, medias together to, to, you know, to create something truly unique. And, and that man, that's always a game changer. When you're not lazy, when someone takes the time to do, uh, Different thing, and I and I think that's why I I, I like this guy uh, this uh, this Peter Lick. You know what I mean? Cause he's 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 uh, you know he's out recording these adventures, um, and, and just doing something a little bit differently. You know you know what I mean? Like I mean, fifteen galleries, that's crazy. So I'm always a fan of of people doing different work. So go check out uh, Laurie Pond's website she has she has some awesome work man uh she has this one series called uh what's the name of it? Let me bring it back up There's these ten types and when I first looked at them because i, cause I, I I'm, I'm on episode the last episode of uh the series carnival let's tell you how i yeah I, I I like watching TV watching shows when the hype is gone you know and when I first started watching carnival the this series from uh, hBO I've only been watching it, like, uh, I started uh, probably the beginning of January because I'm doing this 30-day workout thing, and I watch it on the treadmill, and um, I thought this show was recent. (laughs) I thought Carnival was recent. I was like, oh, I never heard of this. Come to find out, this shit is from, like, 2005, I think, but you know it's it's a it's a it's a uh what they what they what's the word they use like it's a um you know it's based off a certain time it's based off like the dust bowl so it's a certain time so it has staying power because it's already shot in like this old-timey feel so no matter what year it is when you watch it i mean you can you can date it by the actors but a lot of actors in there i didn't you know um What's the dude named Styles? Um, Nick Styles was the only one that I knew from there, and even when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, that dude is not aging. But come to find out, it's from like 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. Anyway, so yeah, go check out Laurie Pond. You know, discover a new photographer if you never heard of her. Take a look at her work. She has these 10 types. That uh, That's something I, I one day wanna do. I wanna do some sort of alternative process uh, one day this, when I, when I got into film, you know, when I started back shooting film, that's what got me back into starting shooting film, starting back shooting film. Cause I want to, it's leading up to me wanting to do alternative processes, but I, I'm just getting a feel for film back first. Um, yeah, man, check it out. Lori Pond. Um, see what else, what else I wanted to talk about. Oh, I know what I want to talk about. This guy in his eye. So when my da- when my first daughter was born, um man, I took so many I took so many photos. Uh when when she was born, both film and digital and video. That was the first time I ever purchased a video camera and it was a Canon. It was one it was when Canon first came out with those little bitty um mini what, what were they call like the mini eight tapes the mini eight video recorders and we bought a canon actually we had two we bought one we kept it for a while and then when my second daughter was born we bought another one it was the same uh same camera but just the updated version and i remember thinking man if i had a like a camera in my eye i would never miss a shot because kids man kids are, are so funny but they always do, I mean, but they do stuff so quick. So unless you're just carrying a camera around all the time. And this is before, you know, like I remember my cell phone was like a little flip. It was a matter of fact, it was an AT&T flip phone, flip phone, like a little tiny. This is back when everything was going to small. All the cell phones were going to small. They went, they were started out big, then they came out to small, and I had the little small silver flip phones. thing was like a tank. I think it was like all metal. And, uh, I remember before I ended up actually getting rid of that phone, I, it, it was held together by duct tape. <laughs> that phone had been dropped in the toilet. It had been dropped, kicked, everything. But yeah, phone, the, the, the quality of, uh, pictures of, of cell phone cameras were crap. So, you know, I, I couldn't take, I couldn't get like every shot like I wanted to. I couldn't like when you're holding them, you know, holding your kid and they do something funny, or you're looking at them, they make a funny face. I, I remember telling my wife, if I only had cameras in my eyes or I had some sort of glasses with, with cameras in them. So this guy, um, let, me, let me bring up the article. This cyborg guy has replaced, I guess he had a prosthetic eye. He replaced it with a, like a video camera eyeball. And the thing about it is, like, it glows red. I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's yeah, it's, it's glowing red. Uh, and it's called Eyeborg Phase Two. So he's in Phase Two of, of updating. He well, he's in Phase Two of his his uh, video eye. So he's updating his eye. So here's the article. With Google Glasses gone, the concept that we will all one day have cyborg like heads, cyborg like heads up displays in our eyeballs has taken a hit. However. There is still hope in the form of a man calling himself Iborg. He lost his vision early in life when, when he was shot in the eye with a uh, shotgun. It was a shotgun accident and he lost one of his eye. The guy's name is Rob Spence and he lost vision in his right eye as a child. Like I said, uh, from a shotgun accident. But he's now equipped with an RF enabled camera eyeball that can transmit video to an external external recorder he is actually in the second phase of the robotic eye and claims that the new model has made quite a few improvements over the first one i looked at the video go check it out uh this one that i'm looking at that i just looked at is on vimeo but i'm i mean i'm pretty sure if you just do a search for either iborg phase two or uh Rob spits i uh camera eyeball guy you'll come up with something but i don't think that's strange at all i mean if If I had any sort of, um, and and I tell my wife this all the time, like, if I lose anything, hand, eye, foot, whatever, any company out there that wants to experiment with something, I'm all in. (laughs) I'm all for it, man. Like, what, I mean, who doesn't want, like, something something robotic? You know, I mean, can you imagine if you had a full-frame sensor eyeball I'm not saying that this one is full frame but I'm just I'm just thinking in what's to come if you had like a full frame or whatever whatever's gonna be better quality than full frame um, able to but then what, what would, how would you store the files well I, I guess it would be like Wi-Fi or some way to wirelessly transmit um, and, and what if it could capture as fast as you can blink or what if it could capture as long as you can keep your eye open is just popping off shots. Wouldn't it? I mean, in this one, this this guy has a, it's going red. I would want 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 more one more discreet, you know, one that doesn't glow. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not surprised at at that at all. I remember back in uh, probably 2005 when I was I had it was either 2000 somewhere between 2003 and 2005. I had laser surgery on one of my eye. I got a Jacked up eye, and I had laser surgery on it. But at the time, there was another guy who wore glasses, and uh, he was holding out for this. There was this other technology coming out. I don't, I'm not even sure if his, if it's, if they actually completed, if they actually made it. But it was pretty much where uh, instead of one lens, instead of one, um, it, you know, like what they do with with the laser surgery, they pretty much in my case they had to reshape my eye they had to cut and then, resh- and then let it heal back at the right shape or something like that but this technology was almost doing what you know like bumblebees had like these multiple little lenses so that was it was a technology that they were going to place like a mesh a, like a mesh over your eye with multiple lenses and your vision was supposed to be just like out of this world so I remember this guy saying hey I'm gonna wait on that <laughs> so even you know even back then they were doing stuff you know like with uh, improving vision and, and things like that man technology is crazy there's always something going on so I mean if, they're, if, they're, I, mean, would, would I, if I got both my eyes working would I opt for that though? would I opt for uh, a camera eye? I don't know somebody would have to do it I, wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't get the first version I wouldn't get the first iteration. I, I had to get like, you know, you know how like when they first come out, it's like version one, two, three. I had to, I had to wait for version A. one or A. two, Like the, after the whole first phase completed the new, new, like new generation, I, I would have to wait for that, but check it out. Uh, the guy's name is Dave Spencer. I'll put show notes or links into the, uh, in, in, I mean, I will put links in the show notes on straight, straighttalkuncut.com com so you can check it out and sort of follow him and see where the, where you know see, you can see some of the quality. You can actually see it's kind of gross. You can see, you see them like putting putting it in, and you can listen to some of the commentary about what what went into uh, developing the the camera that actually goes and in, goes into his eye socket so uh that's that what else what else i had oh so so you remember i was trying to think about i was trying to remember the name of that female um photographer that i admired and so i was i was doing some research on like art history and a different art movements, because something came across it was talking about urban urban art movement and i was like well what makes an art movement like you know like well, how, who defines an art movement and what does urban mean i mean cause to me when i think of urban first of all anything in the city or black they call it urban so one of the things i thought about when they when they when i was seeing the term urban art was like graffiti and they say urban art movement and i'm like well graffiti is not recent so i was looking up these different m- like art movement, what's considered an art movement or art um like you know, a art time frame. And so I found this art history timeline on on the website, art um, what is it? Art History for Dummies, or you know that dummy site? They have a book called Art History for Dummies. And within that book, there's this free um this thing you can print out, or actually I don't know if you can print it out, I just copied it. And it's an art history timeline. And in, in the last timeline, starting in 1970, the postmodernism and deconstructivism, uh, some of the artists they, they show, uh Jared Richter, Cindy Sherman. That's that's the artist I was trying to think about like two days ago. Cindy Cindy Sherman. She's uh she's the artist that she she pretty much plays these characters. And what I liked about it was she does them so well not not even just the makeup you know it is something she puts off to make those characters just just un, like believable i mean you you have to look at it to see exactly what i'm talking about you have to look at it work and she's in moma she you know she's been in all these different um uh uh you know art galleries and art showings but there was one there was a documentary on her And there was one when she was younger. And um, and she reminded me of the chick from, actually, I'm not even sure if that's what she was doing, but the the girl from um, the original Psycho. Can't remember her name. But, oh, was she in the movie? Oh, no, she directed the movie Office Killer. I remember that movie. It was back in the 80s maybe. So she directed that movie. I didn't. I did not know that. Or if I did know it, I know it. I forgot. But uh, yeah, Cindy Sherman. That's one of my all-time favorite. Even though I couldn't remember her name, all-time favorite photographers. Just because, uh, you know, watching her watching her documentary, she was kind of a. I don't want to use that word antisocial, but she started doing these, um, these you know characters because. It, it it came natural to her if she wanted to you know shoot models she was practicing on practicing on herself i think that's how i think that's how the story went but uh yeah you have to go check out sydney sherman there's a documentary on um i think uh, uh, what is this look she got some new, some new work but uh that was a documentary on did i see it on netflix or youtube somewhere but check out you'll find something on her and you'll see what I, what I mean with these with these uh, characters that she play on how she loses herself like you forget it's the this photographer that's playing that character it's like she brings to life a whole new character and the reason why I was talking about that was the guy uh, the, the documentary that I'm watching now that I'm finishing up now on uh, Netflix about this, this guy sort of retracing his roots and he's doing the same thing but he's he's playing characters or people from his from his family tree from his genealogy uh but yeah cindy sherman that's that's the name i was trying to think of and i had refused to look it up but come to find out she was on this she was on this uh this timeline uh this art history timeline so let me see where i'm at on time i think that's good I think that's good for this for this edition now you know there, there was more stuff I wanted to talk talk about but I'm losing steam um actually this art history timeline was something I want to talk about but I, I'll catch it on the next one maybe that's it for this edition of straight talk uncut this is tellers and like I always say I don't know a lot but what I do know I talk straight about thank you for listening thanks for joining go to straighttalkuncut.com to see links or to um to see yeah, to see links or information about any of these these topics I talked about in this in previous episodes. Hey, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys later.